Good morning, church. Let's stand. Let's worship our Lord. Let's get excited this morning.
guys this morning I did not want to wake up this morning I don't want to drive here I don't want to get ready it was just one of those mornings and then during prayer Tyler was talking about being grateful and having gratitude and I'm here now and I'm grateful that you are all here too and we can all worship together so let's pray this morning let's lift him up let's give him the glory and let's be grateful for what he has done in our lives Father, we thank you. And we lay down everything right now, Lord. We lay down our ungratefulness, our struggles, our hurts, our doubts. We give them all to you right now, Lord. We worship you. For you are the creator of the world the creator of us. And we give it all to you this morning. You will never leave us, Lord. No matter how far away we get, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And we thank you for that, Lord. We are grateful for that, Lord. So we give you this time. We give you our minds, our hearts, fill them up with you, Lord, that we can continue on in this plan that you have for us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Walking around these walls And I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet And waiting for change to come Keep me within your love. 
team members here, and I have the honor and privilege uh, of speaking to you about our giving this morning. Praying through it, uh, got to have a conversation last night, and it was so interesting because I, I realized I come to this point in my life at different times where, I mean, it, it can happen in different ways, but for me this week, you ever just wake up? And it's an off day, and you know it from the moment you wake up. It's an off day. Some of you are far too logical for that. So if this doesn't make sense to you, that's fine. But for the rest of us who aren't robots, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We, a lot of times I feel like it's easy to wake up. There's certain days that you wake up and you're just like, I don't know what my deal is, but like, I'm not feeling it today. I want to like roll the blankets back over my head, roll back over, fall asleep, and try to start all over again. Like... 
And I had that this week, and it was this weird, disorienting feeling. And something interesting, because I realized there's so many parts of life that feel like that, disorienting. I feel like disorienting is a word that is probably one we should each be able to describe different seasons. It's disorienting when you try anything new, right? Like you ever heard, of, I've, I've, I've constantly heard new parents saying like, I just, there's no manual for this. Like, I don't know what I'm, how, how do you know if you're doing it right? Like, how do you know you're not screwing your kids up? There's like, parenting's a whole new thing. It's disorienting. The process of finding the love of your life, the person you're going to spend your life with, is disorienting. There's no, like, I mean, Scripture has a lot to say about kind of the things to look for, but it doesn't say a whole lot about the step-by-step process of what that, like, what you do with that. How that looks and the practical who I end up with and, and how to make these choices. New jobs, new moments. There's so many aspects of life that I feel like are disorienting. And to me, it feels a lot like, if you ever saw that movie on Netflix, Bird Box... You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys have no clue what I'm talking about. So the idea is that to go out, you couldn't go outside without having to cover your eyes because if you saw whatever was outside, it would cause you to be some kind of weird possessed and you would like end your own life. So it was a bad thing, so people covered their eyes. I don't know that it's always like that per se, but what I really feel like a lot of times is, doesn't it feel like you're just stumbling through life? You're not quite sure what it looks like, but it's almost like you've got a blindfold on and you're just doing the best you can to try to get to where you feel like you're supposed to be without having the sight to see what you need to. I feel like that's so many aspects of life. God, and I think God intentionally allows us to be in these circumstances because we have two choices in these moments. When you're going through a moment in life where you don't know how to handle it, you don't, you're not quite sure what it looks like, we have two choices. Most of us, it looks more like getting on our all fours, on our hands and knees, and feeling around until we get to where we want it to be. But really, God made it simple for us. He reaches out a hand, and he says, follow me. And he invites us into relationship, and into community, because I've realized there are moments in time where I am not that close, feeling that close to God. And I'm not feeling like I'm close enough to hear his voice or to know... But I'm so grateful that I have people in my life who are that close to me, who can grab my hand, pick me up because they're holding Jesus' hand with their other hand and are leading me back through. And one by one, we are taking steps towards where God has us. And I think where this applies to giving is everything about, I feel like, what God takes us through in Scripture is to teach us to develop spiritual eyes. If, if y'all were to be blindfolded and to be invited to get home somehow with your blindfolds on, that'd be a really scary process. We probably need a guide or someone that we trusted who had sight. When it comes to giving in these opportunities, all of these are just faith step opportunities. Second Corinthians talks about how we do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. And giving is one of those things. I'm learning a lot about, about these things. I feel like giving is, is one of those opportunities not to just grow our faith, but it's where we begin to see the fruit of our faith. To me... And, and this may not be fully theological, but giving is to being in church community what changing your diet is to going to the gym. You can go to the gym all you want, and that's partially good. It'll, you'll get benefits. You'll get, you'll get results. But you don't change your diet. You're really minimizing the effects and the blessings that can come as a result of all the hard work. Right? Can we agree on this? You don't like this talk, but it's the facts, y'all. It's the facts. I'm sorry. The same thing is true, I believe, in our giving. We can be in community and we can be a part, but you want to reap the fullness of life in faith and in relationship with Jesus. Giving is the opportunity to do that, to be just a part of that. So we're going to give you an opportunity. As the ushers come up, I'm going to just pray over our giving this morning.
There's multiple ways you can give. My dad's really excited about the last one. So if you want to set up Zelle, you know, you'd make your senior pastor so happy. No fees. He wants me to make sure and verbalize that. No fees. I'm going to pray. And we're going to just believe for God to do some incredible things through our giving this morning. Father, I thank you that though life can be so disorienting and we grab for the, the first things that feel secure. And our finances are usually those things. They feel like security. They feel like safety. God, I pray that we would grab for your hand instead. I pray that we would trust you, that, that we would begin to put into practice the things that you speak over our lives that would give us the fullness of life. And that as we practice these things, we begin to experience a life of freedom, of fulfillment, and of joy that with each person who decides to give that God, that they would just experience the fruit that comes only from fully allowing themselves to be a part of the process. You are so faithful. We just sang that song. God, I pray that we would each know that to be true in the depths of our hearts. As we make a priority of living your way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, as the ushers are going around, I got a couple announcements for you this morning. First things first, if you are in fifth or sixth grade, you are dismissed to go off to your classrooms and have your own incredible Sunday school this morning. The second thing is this. If you are looking for opportunities and ways to serve and, uh, and want to be a part in giving back to the community, this week, this Wednesday, you have an opportunity to serve with Grace Resources. And, and this will be an opportunity to serve uh, meals to those who may not otherwise get one, those who have maybe fallen on hard times. But this Wednesday, that's this, I believe that's this Wednesday, the 26th, is the 26th. And if you want information on where to meet, what time that's at, you can go out to the hotspot and they'll give you all the information you could possibly need and sign up so that we know who is serving and how many people we still need to get a hold of. The next thing is we are extremely excited to announce that we have a new uh, room for our nursing mothers and infants. I was going to call it our cry room, but we're not allowed to call it that anymore. It is our nursing mother's room right out those doors in the first door on your right after the check-in station. There is a room designed just for our moms who, who may need a bit more privacy. There is a TV in there that, that is streaming our service so you can still hear it and be a part of everything that's going on but be able to take care of whatever you need to take care of in there with your baby. So that's exciting. The other thing is... If you are looking for other opportunities to serve, we are always looking for opportunities to give things for you to be able to be a part of serving in. So if you're wanting to serve, uh, stop by the hotspot. We are always looking for people who want to participate in whether it's ushering, serving in kids ministry. Kids ministry has like some ridiculous amount of volunteers that it takes every week to make that program run. So if you want to be a part of just even doing that once a month, once every so often, it's a big, big part of, of making this church what it's able to be is by each of us playing our part in serving and come alongside each other. The last thing is, if you are a guest, I want to just welcome you and thank you this morning for joining us. We have a gift for you at the hotspot. That is right out these doors and to the right, that countertop that you see, not the, the collective right there, but on the other side. And we've got a gift just for you this morning. It's just a small little way to say thank you, and it gives you an opportunity if you'd like to sign up for our newsletter with things that are going on in our community. Otherwise, at this point, 
Why don't you go ahead and stand up? This is an opportunity to meet and greet someone around you. Say hello to them. And we're going to get started in just a minute. Everybody, you can grab a seat. We're going to carry on with the service this morning. Welcome. I'm Dave, one of the pastors, and I have the privilege of presenting a next, week two of our series XO. Really excited about this. So let's talk about sex. You didn't know what you're getting in for this morning, but you got up and came anyway. Lucky you. So today, um, yeah, this is top. We're going to be. It's it's God and sex and probably just by me saying that somebody gets a weird feeling it's like wait god and sex those are kind of like oil and water right they don't go together i mean if you grew up in um in a, a church or a religious background <clears throat> you probably have a similar sense of if you've been in it in a while that you know sexuality and god is kind of like oh yeah you know like, i guess there's they have a relationship but it's it's a strained one you know it's, it's not a real good relationship god and this whole idea of sexuality so today we're going to talk about it and we're kind of what i want to do is i want to develop a theology of, of about our sexuality and this is not by the way a talk i've ever heard in my church as a matter of fact um this was kind of the ones they avoided where, where i grew up youth pastors talked about it but it was really um like don't you dare but other than that it was it was not a whole lot was said about how to form a biblical view a kind of a scriptural perspective of God and our sexuality. What, what does he have in mind? What is it all about? Um, so what I realized that this is the mother of all loaded subjects in our culture. And, and we have people from all over the map, probably a part of our listening audience. <clears throat> I'm guessing the vast majority of you, um, those of you online, those of you here are Jesus followers. And you have made a decision that you are going to submit your life to the rule and the reign of God, that you want to enter into life on his terms, in his way, and experience all that he has for you. And that's some of you are there. Some of you are not. Some of you are living under the authority of Scripture saying, hey, my ultimate source of truth. When it comes down to it, everybody has to decide their ultimate truth source. What determines the ultimate say in the world about every topic who gets to have the final say and for followers of Jesus um, the scriptures are the final say that's where we have God's record of topics and issues that related to our humanity and how we live and operate in the world and scripture is our final authority so in other words even over my own opinion or my feelings or how culture tells me um, we come to this surrender that Hey, God, you recorded these things, and so Scripture will be my final authority on how I will approach these issues. <clears throat> some of you are more on the progressive side. Some of you are more on the liberal side. I mean, on the conservative side. Some of you are sexually active. 
you're living with somebody or you're experiencing your, your tender is like your best friend. You're, you're like really out there just living life, you know, to, to the full in your way. And, and maybe you're, you're with a boyfriend or girlfriend and things have kind of gotten to that place and you're just kind of like, what next? And some of you um, are living at home and you're 40 and you're still a virgin with your mom and dad, you know, in the basement or something. I don't know. You're down there and just, you're living at home. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like some of you are very, very active in pornography. Some of you would never, ever admit that you struggle with this issue. Others of you, not a thing. <clears throat> this is where we're coming from. We're all over the spectrum. And although we're all over the map, our thinking comes from somewhere. Our perspectives about the issue of sexuality comes from somewhere. And, and what I want to do at first is just help you to call out, to identify, to name the source of your belief. Where did you get your belief about sexuality and what it is and how we approach it and what it's meant for? Where, where did you come to this conclusion and what were the sources of information? So this, this morning, what, what I want to do is I just want to ask you to just... Do me a favor and open your mind, open your heart for a moment. And, and if, if, even if you come from a different perspective than me, would you hear me out? Instead of closing your heart or closing your mind and closing the door, that, that you would allow perhaps the scriptures that I'm presenting this morning, and this is more of a study, it's more of a Bible study. And <clears throat> it's, again, since I didn't get this growing up, I had to really source this through other means. And so a great book I've been uh, going through is called Loveology by a guy named John Mark Comer. A lot of my thoughts today come out of his work and a guy named John Tyson. His whole series that he is a pastor in New York series um, on Jesus, um, the controversial Jesus and all about sexuality. So these are some of the sources I've been using. But m mainly where we're going today is scripture. We're just going to kind of park right there and say, OK, what does the Bible say? And I just pray that you would have an open heart to this <clears throat> as we kind of get started on this. And, and to begin with, let's go back to the beginning, to Genesis. Literally, Genesis means beginning or origins. And Genesis basically is the origin, the story, the origin of everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created what he create? The heavens and the earth. Now, the phrase heavens and earth is a common Hebrew idiom, and it's kind of like what we would say, like from top to bottom. You know, uh, it's like the whole banana. You know, it's like, it's one of those things, the, the, the whole nine yards. It, for us, it's like everything is encompassed in this. So God created everything. So in the beginning, God created everything. And then you go down to verse 31. It says, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very, what's that word? Good. It's not up there. God created everything and it was very good. Now the word good, tov in Hebrew is this very rich word. And it has to do with human senses. Like, you know, eyes, your, your sight, your smell, your touch, your, your feelings, all these kind of things. It, it's translated in the scriptures, the word tov, the same word that is Good is translated for like bread and wine and feasting and honey and lotion, perfume, for parties and celebrations and family gatherings and special events. It's, it's, trans, it's, it's the sense of what you get when you're under a shade tree with a light, a light breeze on a very hot summer afternoon. It's, it could be translated lovely or beautiful. And the opposite of tov, good, is not bad or evil. 
the opposite of this word in Hebrew is actually ugly. So it's, it's as an aesthetic word. It has to do with the feeling, the sense of things, great music in a way that feels a beautiful sunrise or sunset. All that is tov is good. So we read God saw that all that he had made, everything, and he had this sense, God had this sense, this visceral feeling, sense that it was so good. Have you ever like watched something or experienced something? You ever, I mean, there are people that, I won't even call names, but I have seen them taste something so delightful, they tear up. Now, so you foodies, you might get that. Others of you, you get moved by a piece of music and it's like, oh, you know. Some of you, it's a movie and you're just like so emotionally connected with that piece. That it's like, oh man, that's good. Or a sunrise or an experience. That's what God felt when he looked over his creation. It was a visceral feeling of, ah, this is so good. And this is the part that it just really gets me is that it was after he made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden and they came together as man and wife. He said, this is the best. And it was something visceral and internal. It's like, man, you, you ever have that smell when you walk into you know, the cafe? I love the collective because it literally sets my morning right. I walked out. <sighs> Whenever you feel, I, I smell coffee that's being ground. Now you may not like the taste of the stuff, but come on, man, the, the smell of it. Unless you've worked in a coffee shop and you're sick of it, it is just heaven. It's, it's that kind of sense. I mean, he, he's looking over this creation. And he's, God calls, calls everything he made, including the human body, in, including what we call sex or beauty or attraction, desire, the touch, the feeling, the skin on skin, foreplay, the joy of intimacy, um, arousal, all this whole thing as he's looking over his creation and all that's taking place in the garden. Not only is it good, he said it's very tov. It's extremely exquisite. It's good. And that says a lot about sex, but that says even more about God. Some people have this tendency to think God is like this crotchety grandpa up in heaven, just kind of with his cane looking over into, you know, down on the earth. It's like, what are they up to now? You know, those darn kids. You know, it's kind of like he's, he's a little ticked. He's a little miffed. He's a little like curious about what is, what are they doing? You know, and, and it's kind of like sometimes Christians get this perspective, like, like sex was a surprise to God. It's like he was looking at Adam and Eve and he's like, Gabriel, what the heck is going? Get down there right now. Tell them that does not go there. Stop right now. I mean, it's like, honestly, it's like for some reason we get this weird mindset that God was like totally shocked by it. How did they figure that? Where did that come from? What are they doing with those things? It's like, and it's almost like God says, they're having fun. Let's call it sin. Get down there and fix that. We got to curse this. Something's wrong. But nothing could be further from the truth. I would argue God is the God of pleasure, of joy, of satisfaction, of deep and personal and, and rich meaning in every regard, in personal, physical, financial, all the sexual ways. God is the God of blessing. And I'm not saying that, you know, you're not blessed if you're not having sex. I'm just saying what God gave is intended for good, for tov. In the beginning... God said it was so, oh man, that is the best good. 
over all of his creation, particularly over man and wife, and the union that came together as they were beautiful, they were naked, and they felt no shame. And that hasn't changed. Over the millennia, over all the years, over all the things that have happened since creation to now, even the New Testament we find, and I love this in First Timothy, this is a sentence that just, it just delights me to read it. it when, when you read, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Paul was looking at creation, he's like, you know what, how good our God is, this is how good he is. He's given us everything for joy. This literally, the creation was meant to delight him and to delight us. We were meant to enjoy it. And we need a theology of enjoyment. We need a proper theology of what good God is like, how good he is. Not just when we talk about sex, but at life, everything on the earth. A Genesis-shaped worldview essentially says, okay, this world was created by God and it is good. Very good. God himself enjoys it. God commands us to enjoy it. God called the children of Israel to separate several times a year away from all their work and everything else to just celebrate. He commanded them to celebrate, to stop working and have fun. That's the kind of God we serve. And we need to enjoy all the good stuff in creation, food and drink and beauty and nature and sex in the right perspective as gifts from God himself. Now, I realize everybody has a different story, and just this topic alone is enough to make my wife blush a little bit because my kids are here, and that's a little awkward. I don't know about you, but when it came to the talk, I'm, i got to be honest, I failed. I came in, and I'm like, so Tyler was my firstborn, so remember, he'll, it's terrible to this day. He's traumatized because he was, he was young, and I'm like, man, I'm going to get a jump on this, and we're going to have that talk. So we took a drive to the mountains, and as we're going, I'm like, so Tyler, you know, and I'm just like, let's talk about sex. And I don't know how I said it, but it was really awkward, apparently, because he's like, Ugh. and he has this look on his face like, and he's staring straight ahead, and after about like a few minutes into this, I'm thinking, Okay, this isn't going so well. This is not how I pictured it in my mind. And ever since then, I've kind of like been a little shell-shocked. I'm a little gun-shy about talking about it in front of my kids. So, kids, you can go now. And <clears throat> mom and I will talk to the grown-ups. I'm just kidding. They are grown-up, but it's a little... It, and, and this, again, this comes from my upbringing. It's a little awkward to talk about these things. But, so Lori and I, I know this isn't everybody's story, it's not like, you know, saying, ooh, look at me, it's just the reality of where we came from. Um, Lori and I were both virgins when we, when we were married, and so that was um, the way we grew up, and it was, and yes, we were married at 12 or so, so it's like, wasn't a whole lot to happen before then, but <clears throat> no, we, we started very young, but to be honest, um, the experience of coming together at, on the honeymoon was like, Unbelievable. Nothing like it in the world. And all I'm saying, and again, sorry, honey, um, is there were moments of just kind of, we're driving around. We got, she won a trip to Hawaii. We were so poor. We couldn't even afford, we couldn't even afford a taxi to get us to the airport. But she won this trip with this money. So we took a trip to Hawaii. It was like we could have never done it. I was just graduating from college, just getting ready to start ministry. We were so poor. We, we couldn't afford postage stamps back then. But we got this trip, and I'm telling you, we were all over the island having the best time of our lives. And there were just moments when it was just breathtaking. It's like, ah, this 
is so good. And God thought of all of this. Two becoming one. And the delight that we get to share beginning our lives together. Physically, intimately, and yet mentally and emotionally. All the things we get to experience. Oh man, this is Tov. This is so good. And whenever you see or experience or taste or smell or listen to Tov or good, it makes it just makes you step back and take a deep breath and say, ah, oh, this comes from somewhere. And I know some people in our culture want to just attribute it to nature. And you know how nature has become a proper noun? Like it's got its own personal, a personhood, you know, nature, you know, nature gives us this and nature does that. Nature is nature. But God is the giver of Tov. And we worship him. We, what Ty said this morning, that's where gratitude comes, where you just look at something, you experience something, you're just kind of like, ah, oh, this is so good. That's our creator. So I want to rewind a paragraph or two, back to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to look at verse 27. We read, so God created mankind, or humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then we read verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, okay, first words out of God's mouth to humans, all right? This is the first recorded interaction with God and in, in his creation. God spoke to them. He said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. This is interesting to me. But the very first command we get out of Scripture, the very first interaction with humans and God is be fruitful and increase in number. I mean, it's strange language. We don't talk about that anymore because we have disembodied sex from procreation. Ever since uh, contraceptives, ever since, you know, we've come to this place where it's like, oh, sex is this, you know, it's fun for adults or whatever. It's, it's an experience. It's, it's this other thing. But in the created order, it was directly connected with our ability to be like God in his image. God made us in his image. And he said, now you create. I've created, I've created, I've created, I've created. Now you create. You go make life. You become, you reflect, you show forth the image of God. Make. Kids. You know, go ahead. And, and because we, for us, it's like in our culture, oh, we make love, we, you know, we sleep together, we have sex or whatever. It's, but the first commandment, the, the rules all throughout Scripture, and, and people think, oh, the Bible is just a book of rules. It's just, it's just all about rules. Well, it's true. The Scripture is a list of how to live in the world and get God's blessing and get the fullness of life. What it looks like when you don't and the curse that's upon all of us as we differ from God and go our own way. But the very first rule, the very first law, as it were, is to have sex with your spouse a lot. I mean, it's not so bad, right? Rules can actually be pretty good. Clearly, some are fantastic. So for, for too long, the church's message on sex has been, don't do it. It's dirty. It's nasty. It's ugly. It's something that's got to be hidden and behind the, you know, it's, it's definitely for behind closed doors. But don't have sex with anyone Unless you're married, don't sleep around, don't move in together. Unless you're married, don't have an affair. Once you're married, and all that, all that is true. But the problem is we often lead with the negative commands without posturing or framing in the truth and the, the reality of what God's story actually frames it. 
the first command the scriptures begin with a positive command to have sex to be fruitful in other words to come together in union create procreate bring life out of your love out of your union and let the numbers increase make babies have sex with your spouse a lot and it goes on they were naked and they felt no shame man can you imagine that in a culture that has no comparisons there's only one man one woman they're perfect whether they were physically what we would consider perfect or not whether they would have made the billboards or the posters or whatever they had no shame there's this oneness about them i love that sex with no guilt no shame nothing to hide nothing but innocent delight and joy and peace and pleasure between man and woman in the relationship in a covenant until death do us part intimacy vulnerability just trust beauty ongoing increasing pleasure these were all god's created plan and it was very good and then chapter three the fall of man it's what we know as you know the, the push away what one person said this way but we were sexual before we were sinful meaning sex is not some kind of evil curse that came after the fall that god's like no you know just go ahead and do your thing you know you carnal creatures you know whatever it's it's this wicked stuff that's inside of that you're trying to push down and no rather it was the blessing of god in genesis 1 it was very good and i want us to have the theology about our sexuality that it is not some kind of a curse it's not something that came on us that was like this horrible thing we can't control this is actually god's gift to our humanity it's it's a pleasure sense that he's given us that he gave us for joy and delight and bringing us together and procreation and all of these things and it is very good in the context of marriage it is the best and it, sadly we don't live in the garden anymore and now we are sinful now sin has seeped into reality into our reality and it has twisted everything we live with some of you but but god but God and his view of sexuality is that it's beautiful in the confines of the right place. It's like a fire in the right place. It is delightful, warms the heart, is beautiful. But outside of that, it can devastate and destroy. <clears throat> so maybe you uh, are familiar with scripture. Maybe you have heard of the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon written by King Solomon, um, one of the most brilliant men who ever lived, according to scripture. And it's kind of right in the middle of the Bible. It's at the end of the with the Hebrew wisdom literature <clears throat> and what we find is it is actually if, if you read it it's a collection of ancient erotic kind of Jewish love poetry and it's in the Bible somebody be like where's that again it, it literally <clears throat> and to be honest Orthodox Jewish men could not read this until they were 30 years old and married this is like one of those things that's like considered so like woo, you know don't, that's pretty heavy stuff um, because it was sensual or even graphic in some ways in its depiction of a married couple on their wedding night people were like oh man you can't read that unless you're you know fully grown and mature and married so in one sense what we i mean sorry in one scene what we find is the lovers and this is kind of the story of solomon and his bride and they're in the marriage bed and he's describing her and he's like he's it's this, all this poetic literature about how beautiful she is and 
you know, your teeth are like a flock of sheep. I mean, like each one has its pair. And I'm like, hey, in ancient Hebrew, this is pretty important. I mean, they didn't have dentists back then. So teeth, actually, all of them are there. It's like, wow, you got them all. Let me see those. And it's some, I mean, this is good stuff. But there's a moment as he's describing her body and he starts at her hair and her head and her mouth and her neck and he just goes down to her breasts and the rest and he's like, he's describing all this and there's this moment where the intimacy is, is consummated and, and there's this voice that comes in to the, to the scene and it's a voice of somebody singing or speaking poetry over the young couple and, and this voice says, eat friends and drink drink your fill of love and there's this sense in which this person this other voice comes into this marriage bed to say this is what it's about love was meant for this sex is meant for this this coming together this marriage union this relationship for the till death to us part this is tov and that voice most scholars would say is the voice of god singing over his creation as its love has found its place in the arms of its intended. And this is something, it's just like beautiful. God is, and after the fall, this is after the, the creation went awry. This is after all kinds of wickedness that entered the world. And yet still we find God, we find the voice of the creator crying out over them. It is very tov. It is still good. So two major thoughts and we're done. Number one, sex in God's plan is good. Sex is good. And you're thinking, yeah, okay, I already know that. That's amazing, true, yeah. But, but honestly, there's a ton of negative rhetoric around this, particularly in the church, about sexuality. And a lot of people grow up in particular in the church with this negative view of it. So there's a lot of fear and guilt and shame, and there's, there's not a conversation going in most churches about this. So people are just kind of like, ah, I don't know what to do. Um, that's, you know, that's for over there. It's kind of like, you know, don't talk about, you know, money and taxes and all that kind of thing. Well, this is the other one. They kind of like, just, just leave that one over there. But nothing could be further from the truth. Not in God's universe. Sex is good when it's done as God intended. Genesis 2, basically we know everything about sexuality and marriage as at the beginning. We read about that. But then, in, um, <clears throat> then we find a place where we kind of get a high altitude view in chapter 2 of Adam and Eve and marriage and sexuality. This is verse 5. So no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet, again, we, we saw creation, now we're getting kind of like, this is way up high, kind of zooming in. No plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then verse 7, <clears throat> then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Let's talk for a few minutes about this word man, Adam. That's the Hebrew word Adam, for which it literally means man uh, or male, and we, we get our word Adam from that as well. Now, there's a play on words in the original language where we get that God created Adam from the ground, Adamo. It's, it's basically Adama, which is Hebrew, the ground, or there's a symbiotic relationship between the man, human, and the earth from which he comes, from the dust, from the Adama, God made Adam. <clears throat> so this human, this, this human is just right now, it's just nothing more than a corpse. 
there was dust formed into the shape of a man. And then we read, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became something more. I mean, he became nefesh in Hebrew, or a soul, a living being. So humans have no equal or parallel in the universe in this sense, right? Animals, uh, if you think about it, they're purely physical. It's physicality. I mean, they don't have a soul <clears throat> is what we would consider a soul, right? They eat, but they don't know how to set a table. They communicate in a rudimentary sense, but they don't have Shakespeare. They think, but they don't write philosophy or poetry, they, right? They're different. They don't have the soul. Then there are angels, which are pure spirit, they sometimes manifest physically, but they are what we see in Scripture is more they inhabit a world that is not atomic in it, or in its nature. <clears throat> but Adam, or human, is kind of a hybrid. He is both Adama, the soil, the, it comes from the earth, but he is also spirit. He also has a spirit. <clears throat> so you're an integrated holistic being. Your body, your soul, your spirit, your, your skeleton, your nervous system, your brain, your thought, your, your feelings, all of these things, your memory banks, your smile, your personality, all of that is you. You are not just a body. You are not just a soul. And there was this idea that came up many, many you know, millennia ago <clears throat> that the real you is the spirit inside of you. And this whole concept basically was that there's, there's a spirit and your body is just kind of the shell that just carries your spirit through life. But... The real you is your spirit. Scripture doesn't declare that. Plato is, in fact, the one that called the body the prison house of the soul. You just kind of stuck with it. Now, we live in a culture that is obsessed with the physical body, right? I mean, you just cannot get away from it. Every ad, every television show, every you just post an Instagram, and you just go around, and it's all advertisement, movie, picture, post, everything. It's like perfect people, gorgeous people ideal people everywhere and many of us look at that and say that's not me i'm not that and people overreact so they say things well listen you know that in, in a very physical world people react say well i don't want to be loved for my body i want to be loved for me as as if your body is somehow not you but that is really really troublesome because in scripture your body and your soul are you you only know God and experience God in your body in a sense. Your body and soul are united. They're, they're together. And your body matters. And the reason I'm going into this is because we've come to this conclusion that somehow our body doesn't matter. So, ah, oh, you know, sex is just a physical thing. It's not really anything more than that. It's just play for adults. It's just, you know, just what people, two grown adults, in consent do for one another to have fun. This is profoundly wrong, and, and Scripture has a completely different perspective. It, it, think about Adam and Eve's sexuality, <clears throat> as well as shares in mind, down verse 23. Then Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then there's this iconic line. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become, notice the language, a man is united and they become one flesh. I want you to see that she is human. When Adam and Eve come together, two beings come together, they become one flesh. God is putting significant, significant impact and import 
on the idea of your physical existence, your body, your flesh. In Hebrew, this is graphic and weighty, this word echad. Yeah, there's a word for you, echad. This, <clears throat> this idea of one flesh. It's interesting that the exact same word is used in Deuteronomy 6 for God himself. This is the way it says it about God. And this is the, the, the ancient Hebrew prayer that's known as the Shema. And basically it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is Echad. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. So when you combine this heavy graphic word Echad with the idea of flesh and the body, it's, it, it means that it is fused together at the deepest level. God himself. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, they're fused together at the deepest level. And, and when a man and a woman come together in a physical union, the scriptures declare they are echad. They are fused together. Body and soul. So you see why this completely, I mean, this totally upends the societal view that sex is just a physical thing. It's just play for adults. And as long as everybody consents, as long as you use protection, whatever, it's all okay. There is something so much more to our sexuality, which brings us to the second point today. Sex is good, but also sex is powerful. It's powerful. When a man and woman come together sexually, two separate autonomous human beings become echad. They become one entity. They're united, heart and soul, body, flesh and spirit. And it's irreversible. It's immutable. It is permanent. It, is, it cannot be undone. And because of that, it, it is so powerful. That is why the only thing, the only container for this kind of power is marriage. Or as John Mark Comer said in his book, Marriage is the only container that can handle the nuclear force that we call sex. Marriage, that union of saying, hey, you know what? I've seen you. I've experienced you. I know you. I think it's very interesting when it said that Adam and Eve came together and Adam knew his wife and she became pregnant. The word in Hebrew is the idea of sex and to be known are synonymous. It's a, to have known somebody is to literally, and that is the truth, I have known you. Your soul, your body, your, your essence has been exposed to me. Now I know you. And there's so much power in that, that that cannot be, that was never meant to be just given to any and everyone. It was meant to be shared in a no matter what comes riches in, in sickness or in health, in poverty or in you know, prosperity, in beauty or in 70-year-old, what comes after beauty, you know, whatever. And if you're 70, I'm sorry, maybe you're not the one, but how I see myself in the future, I will be faithful until my dying breath. There will never be another one I will achad but you. I will never be with another one but you. And this is what we are saying is the essence of our created sexuality. That we were meant in our proper order to become that one with someone. Turn over to 1 Corinthians and we just kind of will wrap up there because we're out of time. <clears throat> Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, says some really important things. And a little background, Corinth was this shipping town. I mean, it was, it was the Vegas of the mid, you know, Mediterranean first century. And basically, it was like this peninsula where all the shipping came and went. And so it was super rich and super powerful and very influential. And so thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sailors would come to this little peninsula. And they'd walk across the, the four miles or so to the main city commerce center. 
and there were just all, so this was a center for prostitution and, and sexual freedom of all kinds. It was kind of the San Francisco or the, you know, the California of their, of their world. This is the kind of place it was. It, was, it separated the Aegean and the Adriatic Seas. It was, it was very, very influential. And in Paul's day, it became so like synonymous with sexual freedom or whatever that the word Corinthian was a slang word for prostitute or loose one. So to say, oh, man, stay away, watch out for her. She's a Corinthian. In other words, she's a, yeah, she's loose. She's whatever. She's a working girl. Watch out. That's a cultural thing. So into that, Paul is speaking to a church that was just like 50 miles from that center. And he was just saying, listen, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers. And we heard the first four, and we kind of skip over the last four. But here they are. Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we stop there. I'm like, we're in big trouble. And listen to this one. Somebody ought to rejoice about this. And that is what some of us were. But you were washed. And you were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. <clears throat> As I close today, we're going to come back and pick up this topic. Um, we're going to take another couple of weeks to unfold what it means for our cultural view of sexuality in regard to the gender movement, um, the the. LGBTQ community, what Jesus has to say, um, what Christians would have, and what it was a proper response to the cultural moment we find ourselves. Um, and it may not be what you think, so I hope you'll come back. But as we close, I, I want you just to hear this. What, what Paul is saying, and, and I'm not going to whitewash this or sugarcoat it or any other thing. This is what Paul said, that these things disinherit the kingdom life and the eternal relationship with God. Heaven, as we call it. Those things disconnect us from God's intended purpose and his intended outcomes for our eternal souls. But, and I love this, in Corinth, in this place, there was a slave market that was, that was common for people to be taken from one culture or poor or the, the, those who didn't have means or somebody came into debt and they were sold in the slave market as sexual property. And that a man or woman sold on the slave block in this space could literally, on occasion, be purchased by a person with good heart. And rather than being used and abused, they could be set free and given their freedom. And that picture was so beautiful, and Christians became those people that... They went into the slave markets and spent their hard-earned money to purchase back people who had been sold into sexual slavery. I want you to hear this, that Jesus is that master, that Lord, that rich, that he is that love person who loves you so much that he is saying, I don't know where you come from. Well, actually he does. But I want you to know, I will buy you back and set you free. I have given my life for your freedom. And I want you to experience life as God intended. 
I want you to come into your own of experiencing the joy and satisfaction and rich beauty and blessing of all that sexuality was meant to be. But I want to redeem you from the brokenness and the abuse and the harm and the hurt that's been done to you and you've done to yourself. And I want to set you free. And that's where we close today. And I just want to give you a moment to just kind of close your eyes with me and pray. We're just going to ask that as, as we do, just let's give it a moment of reflection as the band comes. <clears throat> and can I pray over you? Heavenly Father, it's what an amazing and refreshing thing to hear all that you intended for us and that it was good. There is nothing as amazing as the tov, the beauty, the goodness that you have intended and it's seen everywhere, but we sometimes forget my prayer today is, Lord God, that we would once again step into a theology, a robust, deep, really well-balanced scriptural view of who we are as your created likeness. And that we would begin to live into our full potential and hold ourselves in the value and beauty that we are truly your image bearers. We would reflect you well. We would represent you well as the Echad of God, the one being, the oneness, the wholeness that you intend for us, God, would become our great desire. I pray that you would lead us as we discover what it means to walk with you. Forgive us for the things that have truly broken your heart and our, and our lives and help us, Lord God, to be redeemed, to receive the gift Jesus offers of grace and love and renewal. We open our hearts to receive your grace, Lord God, and ask you to lead us as we become your apprentices to this life on your terms, your way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, stand with me. We're going to send you out with a song. Let's worship together before we go. There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning And I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me, there was another in the waters, holding back the seas. Should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free? There's a cross that bears the burden, where another died for me. There is another in the fire. I fall.
between what remains of me and this reckoning. Either way, I will bow to the things of this world. Joy from every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be. I count the joy from every 
Count the joy from every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be. I count the joy from every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be. Thank you, church, for joining us. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.